Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist and a sports nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Rob Fortress Fortney here, and you know who I am and what I've done. Ooh. If you don't, get with it. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach. I run Strength Guild and the USSF, which had its first inaugural strongman competition added onto the, the docket this last weekend. And, uh, geez, I, I run Lift for Hope, and I compete in powerlifting at Highland Games. And you have news. I do have news. I just wanted to give a shout-out to Holly Chapman, who we had on a couple months ago. Uh, she had her competition this last weekend, her, her bodybuilding competition, or figure, I guess she was. Um, she took first in her division and age group, and then took second overall and in the Masters, and then fourth in the Open. Novice. So I just wanted to give a big congratulations to her. And also, uh, she still pulled, what, 245 pounds for reps the week before the competition. And her max is like 275. So, hey, you know, that's pretty good. So she looked pretty awesome. And she's a she's a fun fun lady. And just wanted to give a congrats. And uh, keep it up. Right on. Yeah, that's... <clears throat> um, I have sciencey stuff, obviously. Strength and Muscle Sport News. The first one, everyone, we were talking before we hit record about uh, the Sisus supplement. If you haven't heard of this, it's fairly new to me. Phil uh, had, has heard of it. Um, it's a joint product, uh, and I got an email question from an athletic trainer, our head athletic trainer, uh, about this. What, is it legit and that sort of thing? And I went and I dug uh, through the literature, peer-reviewed stuff, right? Not like, not like, you know, muscle and fitness kinds of stuff. And um, there is, in fact, a study. Although the huge flaw is that there's really no control group. So they gave Cissus uh, quadrangularis mm-hmm. uh, to uh, 29 young men. Uh, they were between age 20 and 46 that had chronic joint pain uh, as a result of strenuous exercise. Um, all men received the CISIS 3,200 milligrams daily for eight weeks. So I don't know what the claims are, how fast this is supposed to help with joint pain, but this study did eight weeks and results. Drum roll. Subject ratings for multiple variables within the WOMAC index, the W-O-M-A-C index, improved, that is decreased significantly by 31% from pre- to post-intervention. However, this is what makes me iffy about this. No clinical measures were impacted. So in other words, other than this subjective notion of less pain, um, there were no clinical markers that improved, uh, and there was no placebo to compare it against. So, of course, the risk with this sort of thing is over this eight-week period, other things could have been reducing pain, and they thought it was the cissus. You know, the whole idea is if a placebo group, of course, flatlines and doesn't change, and then the cissus 
gets a dramatic reduction. Oh, it must be the supplement, you know, if you control everything properly. How do you spell this, Sissus? C-I-S-S-U-S. Okay. So, uh, Phil, you said it's on the market. Uh, who's making that already? Yeah, I know. Well, it has been for a while, but uh, USP Labs, I know. I think they were the first one to came up, come out with it. And now there's a lot of people that have it now. Um, no, I was just looking here, too. There's some studies on dogs and stuff, and uh, they they broke, they broke they fractured the radius ulna of a dog, and then they treated them. And the dogs that had were given the cystus, uh revealed faster initiation of the healing process than the control animals. You mean it's, they intentionally uh, broke bones on this dog? Yeah, they do that kind of stuff all the time. In research. their exact location. Yeah. Yep. They, they broke the radius ulna of the dogs, and then yeah, the treated group also reviewed. Yeah, visit. The the treated group also revealed a decrease in serum calcium levels to a greater extent than the control group. Healing was almost complete the twenty first day, and it was still incomplete in the other animals. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Inter- yeah, that, cause that is so. more clinical marker. This yeah. uh, non controlled pain study that I'm looking at. It's physicians <laughs> medicine. It's a fall 2013 paper. September. Fun stuff. Yeah, no, I'd heard about it, and uh, I I never really tried it, so I can't speak from, from personal experience. Yeah, what caught my eye with this paper, um, Bloomer and colleagues, I guess, is that it's literally about high-volume exercise and the inflammation it can cause. Oh, okay. You know, so it's pretty specific, except, yeah, not not definitive by any stretch. But anyway, just so uh, listeners, if you're... W- haven't heard of that? You might. Super Sissus is one of the supplements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Super Sissus RX, and I can tell you, I just had Cyvation has some out. Uh, who's that? It's uh, Vitamin Shop has their own Sissus extract. Hey so. Phil, it's too bad that we weren't reading this back when you got run over by that truck. We could give you a whole yeah. That, well, they didn't even have this. This didn't exist because that was back when grass was new. Well, that's what I'm saying. We could so. we could have like just freaking fed your bottles of the crap when your whole body I know, was broken. I know that that would have been awesome, man. Yeah, then I'd be too awesome though. Phil, here, I've said it before. Eat this. I've said it before. If the me getting ran over by a truck was just, it was the the. The gods of all iron just just evening the playing field. They didn't want me to be too awesome. <laughs> so that's that's all it was about. Be polite. So yeah, yeah. I th- I think Phil actually had access to Ceases back there. He's just been a hole in the back for us for for many. Years. Yeah, that's where I got all my greenbacks, man. That's why I'm so well off. <laughs> I was hiding that. So yeah. Oh, certainly, <clears throat> certainly didn't do anything for your looks. No. Can I? No, not at all. <laughs> Can I pull this back in, please? Yeah, no worries. Uh, I wanted to share this. This is not going to go over big with our listeners. I'm always talking about how beef is going away. You know, in the next 10, 15 years, it's going to become astronomically expensive. Well, unfortunately, uh, there's a group of nerds that are accelerating that process, apparently. This is from Lab Roots Daily, May 5th, 2014. So I always say it, but spanking new. Uh, it says... Um, a recent paper published, let's see, issued by the group's California Environmental Associates and Climate Focus places a new focus on the impact of agriculture in um, inducing climate change, apparently. And I know people have grossly different views on how serious climate change is and whether it's made by people or not. The scientists, many of the ones that I look at, and I've seen a pretty broad spectrum, are pretty convinced that something's going on. 
But if we have hard right-wing people who make this political, um, okay. Uh, in any case, it says of the overall agricultural emissions, 70% can be attributed to grazing livestock, such as cows and sheep, a phenomenon that's really not a surprise to anybody who's been around cows and sheep. The report notes that changes in habits in several regions of the world would have the largest effect, like the U.S. and China. It's probably not a surprise the U.S. is the largest red meat consumer. It says projections show worldwide consumption of beef increasing 116% by the time we reach 2050, you know, all things um, considered. Uh, developing countries, I guess, a problem is with food going bad. You know, there's a lot of food waste, and in, in developing countries, a lot of it simply goes bad because of poor refrigeration and this and that. Here, we just waste food blatantly. You know, we throw stuff away. We don't eat it all. Uh, there's been talk I've seen in several sources, and here's another one, about people being too paranoid about the best buy or sell-by dates on packaging because those sometimes get confused and, you know, people throw away edible food. But just because it's best by a certain date, that doesn't automatically mean it's bad by that yeah. date. So I, I actually, I just had a few days ago, actually, coincidentally, some guy was telling me about his milk said best before and it had a date and it was like that day. And he went to throw it out. I said, are you men mental? Like, you know, taste right. it. If it <laughs> people, people automatically think that, yeah. Well, there's a fine line between them, I and you don't want to have people say, oh, the guys at Iron Radio told me to I could drink my milk until it was like hello <laughs> curds. No, no. <laughs> well, well, that's why I gave the preempt to, you know, at least sample it. Yes. <laughs> I mean, anyway. If it's, um, if it's got the consistency of, like, cheese, yeah. Yeah. I am not a – I'm pretty neutral, you know, and objective about climate change. You know, show me the data, this and that. But this almost makes me – drift toward the right if you want to make it political i do not want to see beef getting blamed for freaking climate change you know so the uh, climate change is because all the, the livestock are busting ass <laughs> pretty much apparently uh, uh, yeah so i don't know it's like i said it's one of many sources that suggests that beef is endangered as far as appearing on our plates you know because of uh People keep pointing fingers. And let's face it, I mean, even last week when we had Eric on, he was talking about how it takes, what, a gallon of water to create a pound of insect protein, but it, it takes thousands of gallons to make a pound of beef protein. It's just not a very efficient, from a food chain perspective, kind of thing. But uh, It's not efficient, but it tastes really good. Oh, it does. That's what I'm saying. I, can't, I simply cannot jump on this anti-beef bandwagon. I can't do it. Let me start off then quickly with a summer funds drive. We try not to do this too often, um, but we're just going to put a call out. If you're not a supporting member, you know someone who's waffling, now would be the time. We want to migrate a lot of our old content from our more spotty server over to Libsyn. You hear Rob talk about that at the end of the show in his little ad. Um, that's going to be a bigger chunk of change than we thought in order to do that. And, of course, there's some discussion we've been having about taking a portion of content, uh, some of it's bonus content, some of it's a paywall, whatever you want to call it. I don't like that term, paywall, but I understand why people say that. Uh, that will help down the road, but the initial move is going to cost uh, hundreds and hundreds of dollars. So that's why we need some supporting members, and that's why we're – we're back doing the funds drive like you see public radio doing all the time. I mean, we are not officially public radio, but
but that's how we operate, right? We're listener supported. So um, help. <laughs> help us out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Well, um, we've been chit-chatting for a little bit. Let's go ahead and go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk about ways to overload. There's lots of discussion about, you know, how do you move up? Um, and I don't want to get into it yet, so I'm going to bite my tongue. <laughs> talk about it in just a sec. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, if you simply Google CRC Press in protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for $69 US dollars. So that's 31% off the $99.95 uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69, I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So... Uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. <laughs> Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. <laughs> All right, we're back, and we're going to talk about overload today. Um, once people start progressing, you know, they start with that whatever program they want, and of course, there's lots of examples. Usually, people turn to lay books. You could also turn to a textbook like the NSCA, National Strength Conditioning Association books, um, or just work with an experienced coach. But obviously, over time, there's a principle in exercise physiology, which is overload, right? Asking a body to do more so its systems will adapt in that direction. Mm -hmm. uh, so I thought we could talk about different training principles off and on in coming months. But overload is one of the most fun ones. And I think what jumps to most of our minds probably is weight. You know, let's mm -hmm. put more weight on the bar. Well, that's intensity. But if you think about it, if you think about the different 
parts of exercise prescription. Sure, you could increase intensity, but you could also add frequency, right, number of workouts per week. You could add duration, like the length of the workout. Uh, you know, and there's actually different ways to add volume. One would be more reps in each set. Um, for the power lifter, I'm thinking it's more like more sets in the workout, right? Mm -hmm. So let's start with you, Phil, since you're the coach. Where do you usually start first? Do you add an, another set to your people? Do you just uh, automatically go to the weights first? How do you do that? Um, I think for beginners, I think, you know, I think Ripto's model has it right. And, or, you know, even before that, you know, linear periodization, I think is smart for beginners. Mm -hmm. So it's just linear as in we're adding intensity every week. So it might be, you know, like if you're following the starting strength with Mark Ripto's thing, it's, you know, three sets of five each week, add five pounds, do it again, you know, the next week type of thing. That, that's, that works well for me. I think for beginners, um, after that beginning stage, I think you need to you have to have more options. Um, I don't know what I guess I coined the phrase multifaceted progression, to where you hit a point where linear progression just doesn't work anymore. So we've got to have more options to where it might be, like you said, uh, let's say we start off at seventy percent for you know three sets of eight, and next time it's seventy percent for three sets of nine. Next time it's seventy percent for three sets of ten. Then, okay, now we add five more pounds and we go back to sets of eight. You know, so you're you're progressing in numerous ways, or more sets, or less time. You know, less rest can be a way to do. It. You can keep load constant and sets constant and reduce rest periods. So I, as as you get more advanced, I think you have to get a little more into that exactly. to, to see progress. Well, see, that's what but, I want to tease apart, right? And I like what you said about holding yeah. things constant. Yeah. If you hold the number of sets constant or the number of repetitions constant while you add intensity, you could yeah. probably get away with that. But like you said, linear periodization would say, listen, as you make it heavier, you should taper down the total volume a little bit. I mean, yeah, eventually. And I definitely do that. Um, I mean, my an average cycle for my people is we'll start around 70 percent. We'll end around 90 percent over 12 weeks. So, um, oh, so you ramp it up really slow. Yeah. Yeah. Generally, I don't do anything less than 12 weeks before we test maxes again. Um, I even like a 12 week cycle for like peaking for a meet. So that's just what I've found best. Okay. So let's uh, mix this up because of course there's different ways you can ask an athlete to do more than she's used to or that he's used to. Right. So, yeah. I know that you've been playing with frequency a bit. So mm -hmm. Let's say you you drop the intensity a little, and you're going to focus on overloading frequency, which is a neat concept, right? Because you can mm -hmm. keep things brief, but fairly intense. Yeah. But you're really focusing on the F in F-I-T-T, -T, right? So the way I usually think about this, and some people who have gone to school, they might think about it this way. Not everybody programs like this, but... If you think of FITT, the fit principle, frequency, intensity, time, or the duration of the workout, and then the type, right? So that could be speed work. It could be the, the three big lifts, compound lifts, et cetera. Yeah. So let's focus on that frequency for a minute. I know you've been toying with that. You've actually backed off on the intensity just a little and the duration, certainly. You're mm -hmm. jacking up the F, the frequency. Mm -hmm. How is that working for you? No, I think it's working great. I mean, I've messed with it a lot with my weightlifters, meaning Olympic weightlifting. 
Um, and it seems to work well. And, you know, I, I work with a buddy of mine that's, that does it as well. And, you know, he started off where it was like anything under 80% doesn't count. And we're definitely more down to, I'm, I'm more of the, it's under 60% is kind of our baseline now. Um, so you're doing a lot, a lot more work at a little lower weight. Um, a lot more work over a week is what you end up doing. Per session, it, it stays fairly low, I suppose. But, um, no, we're seeing good results. I mean, especially on the squat. Um, I don't, I, I'm just not a firm believer in the deadlift. I don't think deadlift can, it just can't handle a lot of volume. For some reason, the way it, it zaps your neuromuscular system, I guess, it seems to just wear you out, and you end up hitting a wall real fast if you're deadlifting more than once or twice a week. And Rob, you said that before, haven't you, that the, just the central nervous system devastation of the dead. Mm-hmm. You know what? I absolutely agree with Phil on that. Yeah. Volume on deadlifts can be, yeah, to use your word, devastating on recuperation. Yeah. Um, it, it can it can boil over your your kind of your ascension to greater gains over the short haul that faster than anything. Um, mm-hmm. You got to be very, very, very careful um, as far as how much volume you do. Following a line, line that uh, along that train of thought, it seems to really you seem to people who train the deadlift very, very, very ponderously heavy for very low volume infrequently tend to really gain a lot of their deadlifts. Yeah. So, um, I mean, even if you look at kind of the, the whole um, kind of a more of a traditional thought as far as powerlifting competition when, you know, most competitive powerlifters stop deadlifting, you know, at least a couple weeks before the meet. And, you know, I've heard guys who've stopped, you know, four to six weeks before meet. So, so um, that would also lend a lot of credence to what we're saying. Yeah. Um, and I wish we knew what that was, but... Uh I don't know, it could be just the more pure hip hinge of the move and how much it loads your spine yeah. and you know, dragging it out with your hamstrings, but I don't know. And I've made, but, the, and I've made the, the, the point in the past, um, and again, I, I'm interested to see if, if Phil agrees with this point. I have found that a lot of what we're talking about right now has to do with the bottom part of the lift because lots of volume for deadlifts out of a rack where you're pulling just below your knee, doesn't seem to quite have that devastating no. effect. For sure. Okay, so you do agree. No, I agree totally, okay. and that's one way one way that I've gotten away with having people deadlift like extremely heavy, like maximum attempt heavy weekly, was three weeks in the rack, one week from the floor. Okay, okay. Um, and, it, yeah, it doesn't seem, I mean, I've pulled like 125, 130% out of the rack, and it doesn't beat me up near what 90% does off the floor. Interesting. As far as recovery. Um, yeah, it is something about that from mid-shin down is what really zaps you. Yeah, um, sure. So. so that's interesting that different lifts are going to not jive with adding frequency necessarily. Mm-hmm. You, right. And I think the deadlift is almost maybe the one that you don't. I've seen a lot of good luck with squatting uh, often, yeah. as long as people's yeah. hips and stuff can handle it. Um, depending on how they are orthopedically, of course. But I've also seen frickin' great squatters that do it once every two weeks, you know. Um, it, it depends on your the way you approach it, you know. If, if, if you're going to squat once every ten days, that squat session has to be brutal. You know, you've got to squat to the point where you can't squat. Um, 
But if you're going to do it every every other day, you know, every session is just a little chunk. But you know, you, but you one, know what? I actually thing. squat about once every eight or nine days. Mm-hmm. Now, now, as I the program I've kind of set up for myself in the last six six months or so, and I find that it actually really helps a lot. I have found that because my work schedule is like kind of centers around a, a nine day cycle kind of a thing. So I've kind of formatted my training to that. Um, and I have found that it's actually been very beneficial for where to place my deadlift in that cycle mm-hmm. and the recuperation that I, I get for both of those lifts while each lift is actually helping the other one because there's enough recuperation time. Mm-hmm. But like you're saying, I mean, it, it depends how you approach it, right? It depends kind of yeah. like what you're, um, <clears throat> what you're asking yourself to do volume-wise with each one on any given week and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. Um, volume for a minute then I, I want to keep this as focused on overload as possible mm-hmm. uh, so if we look at volume so let's say we want to add and again I don't want to drift too much into progression models or periodization that's almost another topic mm-hmm. it's obviously intimately connected with this stuff but the point being is how many repetitions across how many sets do you like let me give you an example I've been playing with this since I lived in Minnesota where Originally, I was doing, like, uh, you know, somebody might say, do five sets of five. Well, I have found that at a certain intensity, I can't pull that off. Uh, I prefer, like, five sets of four, you know. And then what I would do is, instead of just adding weight, I would play with doing, maybe I'd do five sets of three, and then five sets of threes and fours, and then eventually get to the point where I'm building capacity to go five sets of five, you know. Mm-hmm. This is almost like reverse linear in a way if you're, if you're dropping the weight or really not changing the weight. but So what do you like? Because what I found was I much rather add another set instead mm-hmm. as a bodybuilder than add more repetitions in a set. In other words, I'd rather not go, you know, like that old two-for-two two rule, I think, which is like if you can do two more reps with a weight, two workouts in a row, it's time to up it, you know, up the weight. Yeah. Okay, well, you know what I mean? But in some ways it feels better to do more sets and not really just start adding reps per set, but keep the rep repetition scheme low and just add another set or two. Does that make sense? No, it totally makes sense. And I mean, I probably should have written a book on this because I'm like the only one I know that's doing it right now. But um, one way I get around that is at, at certain percentages, I don't, or I don't define sets. I only define reps. Mm-hmm. So I will subscribe a certain percentage and this many reps. Uh, so we have defined defined load, defined intensity, if you will, and defined reps. How you get those, I don't care, as long as you get that much. So I, as long as you get that volume, and I don't care if you do it in one set or 15 sets. So you're talking about total as long as we get that volume. weight. Yeah, so okay. let's say, I don't know, just pulling something out of my head, let's say you have to do, you know, 65% for 45 reps. That's what you have to do. If you do 45 singles, I don't care. If you do one set of 45, great. You still did the same amount of work. You know, you move that much volume in that exercise in one set. I like the idea of, yeah, when you think about ultimate volume, it's rep times yeah. sets times weight, you yeah. know. And I like that because that's a dose. You're actually administering a dose like you would a drug almost. Yeah. And, you, and the I, aerobic guys are doing that with met minutes. Met minutes is a concept where you can actually – a met, by the way, people, is multiples of rest, resting metabolism, right? So to the aerobic guys, they can say you can do – 10 mets 
for a brief period, or you can do just two Mets for a much longer period. Either way, it's the same dose, if that makes yeah. sense, of raised metabolism. No, I totally agree. That, yeah. You're doing that on the power side, obviously. Yeah, you know, as, as, our, as the intensity goes up, then I start defining reps and, and sets, but I very much lean towards more the more sets, less reps. Uh, I, 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 I roughly base a lot of things off Prilipin's chart. So I want to see crisp reps. I want to see we're killing every set. You have a lot left in the tank type of thing. And then I'll give you, uh, I, I give buy-ups and, and buy-outs, I guess, for depending on the training session too, if you're feeling great that day or if you're feeling awful that day. So we have ways that, uh, you know, you'll earn extra work if you're having a day that's just awesome. Um, and if you're having a day that, you know, everything feels heavy, then you, we buy out and you come back another day. So I definitely base it off the the individuals the individual day too because that's that's where periodization falls short and you know if you're having a day that's great we're gonna load you up more um, we're gonna you're gonna earn the right to do more work and we need to strike when the iron's hot so that type of thing you know I really really like that idea and I've never really thought about that that's I think that's a brilliant way of looking at it to be honest with you yeah and it's it's that you have to earn, that you go in kind of with a, like a, a bedrock base of what it is yeah and then you either earn the right to push that you know that uh, mandate further in that session or you back off to and you know depending on how you're performing on that, on any given day I think that's exactly. a great idea actually if we if you're it's all you have to program very manageable but you know then if you're just having an average day you come in and take your sets and reps if you're having a great day, I killed those sets. I'm going to take a shot up. You know? And you know what? I and think it would help actually, a bad day, actually, walk away. And I think it would actually help in the long term performing better, more consistently, because you would take a lot of the pressure off yourself. Yeah, because you I come would, in knowing, I well, think. I just I have to at least do this. If I do this, I'm done. Well, yeah. You know? yeah. So, but and it's a very manageable thing. But you know, if, let's say I'm doing five sets of three, and I kill those five sets of three, I'm either going to take that last set. Maybe I'll do extra reps. Or after that last set, I'm going to add some weight to the bar and hit a few singles and a few doubles at a heavier weight and kill them. So, you know, if, if I'm having a great day, you know, I'm, I'm going to strike. You know, it's that day. It's my time to have Yeah, I think so. the uncharitable observer would probably say that only a robot would follow a pure linear model regardless of the way his guys felt, you know. But I think there are a yeah. lot of people who do sadly make that mistake. You know, no, no, we're in a lower-intensity yeah. volume phase. We're trying to add volume. Don't you go doing that other stuff. And like you said, that kind of get-out-of-jail-free card in a way. Yeah, and but I mean, I think there's... I'm not totally in uh, just totally autotomic training either. I don't like that, or, you know, instinctual training. Because there's too many people out there. I've seen too many guys that are freaking... They think every day is 100% day. Absolutely. And no matter what, they add more weight. So I really like having the plan. I like having the plan. And if you're going to go up, you got to earn it by making these sets and reps right. Right. It, it's yeah. a loophole in the system. It's not no yeah. system. Yes, it's not no system, but it's it's a... You get extra credit, you know, or you get, you know, whatever. You get the smiley face at the end well, of the Rob, day. Rob, I know you'll so. back me up on this. And Phil, you've seen enough bodybuilding, too. That's my biggest fault with a lot of bodybuilders. They're in a perpetual non-program. Mm -hmm. You know, they just try to add weight and dabble over time. They're always doing 8 to 12 reps. There's not really a strict progression model a lot of times. Now, not all of them, of course, but there's so little structure 
Yeah, the, everything's that Weider's instinctive training principle, mm-hmm. as if that was Weider's to begin with. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, it, it's it's like that quote Dorian Yates, uh, multi-time Mr. Olympia, once said he was like, you know, in his British accent, that he doesn't, you know, believe in any concept of instinctive training because if it, it was instinctive, everybody would uh, never be at the gym. They'd be down the street at the pub kind of a thing. <laughs> now, of course, as... As guys like us know, us you know, I mean, there's, there's extremes with that, right? Um, when you're talking about instinctive training, if that was an actual concept, you know, there's, I think it only falls on two camps. It's, you know, going down the path that Dorian suggested, and you're right that nobody, you know, that you're definitely not, you're, you're going to be constantly missing sessions in the gym, or you're like you guys are describing, you know, the probably more along the lines of most of our listeners and us, you know, the whole concept of you have a hard time actually taming yourself mm-hmm. and pulling the reins back. And Lonnie, I absolutely agree with that whole thing. I mean, coming from a bodybuilding background myself, one of the hardest things that I, and I've mentioned this on the show several times um, in the past, one of my hardest lessons was learning actually how to back the hell off once in a while. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, the whole bodybuilding, I mean, certainly in the kind of the, you know, the, era and generation that Lonnie and I came up through the bodybuilding thing, yeah, the whole the, it, it was the whole idea of like, the, you know, the, the Platts kind of mentality, and I'm not saying his intensity and effort was wrong, but to the point that they went was just sadism, you know, it was uh, masochistic. Well, and how many of them spin their wheels for literally decades? You see there were oh, yeah. a lot of lifters in general, but especially the sort of non-competitive, recreational type mm-hmm. bodybuilders is if they would only have a progression system with mesocycles and macrocycles, you know, leading towards something. It's almost like without goals, I've heard the analogy, it's like you get in a car and you don't know where you're going. Unfortunately, that's what a lot of recreational lifters do from this sort of physique perspective is they get in their car and they drive in random circles and then 10 years later they're still doing it. And if they only had a goal, like I'm going to go two blocks this season – and then in the summer, I'm going to go two more blocks. And in the fall, I'm going to go two more blocks. Yeah. Well, guess what? Then they've actually reached a destination because of progressive overload, you know. Um, yeah, and, and, and it's the whole idea, like, um, I realize it, 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 bodybuilding to a degree, pure bodybuilding to a degree can't be as, obvi- obviously, as measured as powerlifting is in, in the sense that, well, you know. But this is whole, like you're saying, this whole, whole blind idea that, you know, um, I, I want to get bigger. Okay, well, you know, like, well, and like you say, you see these guys who, God bless them, they're in the jail. You, you know, you, you know that they've been tra- you going to the gym for 10, 12, 15 years. Oh, you know, so, so, so dedication is not the issue, you know, and, and certainly they, they seem to bust ass every time they're in there. But the, pro- the, the problem is, like you say, it, it's just this kind of blind, well, I realize that, you know, ultimate strength is not the primary goal in, in you know, competi- a competitive bodybuilding sense. And so mm-hmm. having said that, if 10 years later you're still using basically the same weights that you've always used on a bench press or dumbbell press or whatever it is you're talking about, I mean, at some point, don't you really – I mean, maybe these guys just like to do it because they just kind of just want to be active and they're happy kind of just maintaining. That may but, be true. Yeah, and, and there's nothing wrong with it. If you can actually – identify that as being the case for you, then there's nothing wrong with that. But so often you know that's not the case. You know, and they always talk about, you know, this, that, and everything else. But 
and we see them. You know, if you're in any gym for longer than, you know, a couple of years, you see these guys, and it's just they never change. Yeah. Well, Rob, let's take this back to overload then, because, again, with the concept, right, if you don't ask your body to do more than you did last week, why would you create a new structure or system? You know, and that's where they are. They're still a 175-pound guy, similar body fat, similar everything. They got more wear and tear on their joints. And like you said, that's a valid point, dude, that maybe they just like the training. And that's fine. Yeah. But uh, without the progressive nature of overload, they look the same because the total dose, and again, the way Phil does that with absolute volume, you know, or aggregate volume, which is reps times sets times weight, uh, or like you say, just throw the sets out of it and it's total dose, you know, in reps. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't change in that way. They don't add more so their muscles don't get bigger. And I mean, let's not even get into the nutrition side of things because that's not automatic either. You know, hunger and need don't really go together. I mean, I was having an interesting conversation today with Mike Walker, who's been on the show before. And um, most guys who complain, they think they're a hard gainer. They're not applying overload systematically enough, either with the food or with the, the lifting. You know what I mean? There's yeah. no calculation. They feel like they're spinning their wheels, but they don't know exactly why. And it's because they're not quantifying anything. I, I mean, there's one thing powerlifters do is you're quantifying the dose of iron. And I mean iron mm-hmm. the, on the bar, of course, much more than the bodybuilder would. Bodybuilders might eventually add sets or reps. You know what I mean? But... It's not quite the same idea, and I think that's why you get people spinning their wheels like they do. Now, let me throw in one or two other ways to overload then and get your opinions here. Uh, Phil and I were talking before we hit record about overloading your central nervous system. Instead of individual muscle groups or individual lifts, uh, like we were talking about, we've had some people on the show, I think Eddie Cohn, there have been others, Marty uh, maybe – about how it's much harder in a powerlifting meet to bench, squat, and deadlift all in the same day uh, as opposed to specialists who show up and they just bench, you know, or something like that. And I've been toying with this option myself, too. So, for example, I'll go in and I'll, I'll do three or four sets of squats in a training range, you know, of intensity, then go bench, then usually I row. Or do like mm-hmm. low rack pulls or something like that. And I'm trying to purposely toughen myself. So in a way, I'm overloading my central nervous system in a way I've never done it before. So I think there's two ways you've got to think about this. One is peripheral, you know, muscles and nerves. But the other is the central demand. And that's sort of what you guys are getting at with the deadlift, you know, being so mm-hmm. brutal in the, at the beginning of the movement. Um, so there are ways to overload your central nervous system as well. I think, and even if you think about the second T in the FITT aspect of exercise prescription, there's type. Now, let me ask you back to Phil. When you work with somebody, you know, you don't want to fall into the rut, I don't think, of just doing the three big lifts all the time and never anything else, right? I mean, is there a time to add in or to overload different angles on the muscle, or are you a purist? How do you do that? Uh, no, I mean, we do different things, but it's all based on the individual is the, is the thing. I don't, I'm a firm believer is that we don't, I don't make people do things just to do things. Okay. So we do everything for a reason. 
So let's say somebody's weak in the bottom of their deadlift, then yeah, we're going to change their deadlift. Maybe we're doing deficit deadlifts now. If they're weak in the top of their deadlift, okay, we're going to spend more time at rack pulls. But uh, most of the time, our main event lift, now we're talking just for my competitive power lifters. They have to be good at what? They need to be good squatting and good benching and good at deadlifting. So we do those all the time. Um, how we change it up is with our assistance work for the individual. If somebody has, you know, right, that's what, if somebody has, right. somebody has weak hamstrings, we're going to throw some more volume at their hamstrings. I'm not going to throw more volume at their quads if they're already quad dominant. So, yeah, I definitely base it on that. And, you know, another thing I get at uh, with assistance work is I do a lot of uh, kind of on that earn principle again. You, here's your load. You've got four minutes. Show me how many reps you can get. And I have a goal in mind. If they hit that, then they get to go up next time. So, you know, they get, a, they get a set amount of time and a set load, and they start knocking out reps. If they hit their reps, they stop, they're done. You know, if they hit their reps in two minutes and they had a four-minute clock, eh, that's okay. You got the work done in two minutes. If they don't get their reps done in, in let's say I, I chose four minutes, then they get to stay at that load until they can do those reps in four minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's type of that's thing. yet another way to apply overload because then you're looking at <clears throat> power instead of just total weight. In other words, and that's exactly time. right. It's, it's work over time, and it's you know it goes back to what I was talking about multifaceted progression. It, there's two things. It's not just we add load every workout. It's we have now we have a time component, we have a load component, we have reps component. You know we have to match all three of those before you earn the right to go up. And then okay, we got the same amount of time, but we're doing it at five pounds more type of thing. So you're working with multiple variables at once because it just doesn't work. The whole story of Milo and the bowl works for a little while. Oh, right, yeah. But that that ends up running out. You know, so once you run out that clock, you better get a little more interesting. And that's also where, um, I don't know, that's where being a coach comes in. I mean, there's plenty of people that can assign you, hey, let's add five pounds every week. And then when that stops, what are we going to do? You better start getting a little more interesting. Right, you can fuck the table um, in a book, for Christ's sake. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think... I think Prolipin had, if, if you're not familiar with Prolipin's chart, I think it's something you need to study. Um, it does fall short, and it's something I'm working on, um, and something I've been talking to you know, Jim Windler about is it was all based on men. Women don't fit that table exactly. So I'm playing around and trying to compile data where I can better fit that towards my ladies because women have this weird, they can handle a lot more reps at the lower percentages, lower meaning like up to 80 and then all of a sudden at 85, woof, it goes down. You know, they'll go from, I'll have a lady that just killed, does six reps with 115 pounds. And we go to 120 and it won't move type of thing. Yeah. And guys aren't that way. That's strange. <laughs> yes, I, that have, way. No, I have noticed that. It's very bizarre. Yeah. So I'm trying to work out to where that table fits because, you know, my girls, I'll, I'll prescribe the same load and same reps. And the girls are like, this is cake. You know, and the guys are like, man, that's a tough workout. So, Bill, if I can add something, you can find very solid research, published scientific journals, that women are more robust to, mm-hmm. to things like mid to upper range um, eccentric muscle damage. You know, mm-hmm. and I don't mean like injury damage, but micro trauma. And yeah. you can just, they just keep coming back for more. Whereas guys yeah. fall apart under some of those workloads. I've often said, mm-hmm. actually, if they could create a sport specifically around bouncing back from muscle microtrauma, women would dominate that sport. Estrogen protects muscles, and I know what you're saying. A lot of this has to do with the intensity, the percent you know, range that you're working in, but the science would back up what you guys are saying, that women yeah. are not slightly smaller men. <laughs> no. 
And then the other tough part you come to is uh, the athlete themselves and their strength level. People forget that if I have a 315 deadlifter and an 800-pound deadlifter, I just I can't assign them the same reps and, and, and volume at the same percentage, at the same intensity. It doesn't pan out. Um, there's a big difference in between, you know, what's 80% of 315 is, what, 60 pounds off of that, 270, no, not even that, 245. And 80% 800 is still, like, 690 pounds. Oh, yeah. There's a big yeah. freaking difference. And, you know, that's what, it doesn't pan out, so i got to make adjustments. I can't just, that's why I don't believe in cookie-cutter programs. Like, okay, here, everybody do this. Oh, amen. I got to. You know what, if I can <laughs> add, I mean, I know this is about nutrition, but. That's the problem with books and diet plans is you know, mm-hmm. everybody is genetically and socially and psychologically different. And yeah. so you can't say, here's the low-carb, get-ripped diet plan. You know, yeah. you cannot do that. And in fact, when people go to you or to me for something like strength or nutrition, it's like going to a doctor. A doctor doesn't say, oh, you know, here's your plan, just go home and follow this. They take some measurements on you. They do a physical. You know what I mean? And it's an individual yeah. approach uh, to medicine. And it's the same valid approach, I would think, if you're going to try to change someone's nutrition or, uh, or training. And to our topic, you know, add overload in some way. Yeah, you're not going to just say, well, this is, this is your new intensity or this is your yeah. new rep goal. And that's, that's the whole reason I haven't written a freaking book. Because I I just don't have I can't write a program in a book and say here everybody do this and you're good, you know? no, not good. You it's, can't no. I know. no I just can't I have never written one that I believe because I you know let's say I got five people their programs are gonna yeah there's gonna be similarities, you know I've had clients say well my program look Jill's program looks like like Susan's and it's like well yeah they look a lot alike because I wrote it you know I have things I believe in that I know work but there are differences for the individual. You know, and everybody is an individual. We're all special little snowflakes. There you go. You know, so. All right. Well, like I said, I feel like I should almost make a disclaimer as we start to wind down here because I've heard people make comments before about, oh, you guys debate this topic and then you slowly come to a conclusion on this or that and and bravo. And I don't want to sound cocky, but sometimes we explore these things on purpose, guys. (laughs) Just so you know, and what I'm trying to do here is tease apart, which is not possible. I mean, the reductionist approach, the the scientist in me wants to say, let's try to just keep focusing on overload. But Mm -hmm. progressive overload begs a lot of questions about how do you do programming? Do you do reverse linear periodization? How about linear? How about undulating? I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't want to get into all those models on season, off season for athletes and how periodization meshes with those. Like I said... Just simply to explore, hopefully people start to think, how can I overload myself? Uh, Rob, I know you've done something similar to what Phil was talking about with the power overload. In other words, can I do the same workout I did last week, but can I do it in 10% less time? Mm-hmm. You know, right, yeah. and get those reps in there in less time. Yeah. 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 So there's a lot of clever ways to ask your body to do something that it didn't do last week. And Yeah, I mean, it can be as simple. If you did something, try it one time. Go in there and purposely take a minute less rest. It's hard, you know. 
and it's another way to progress, and it's it's simple in that way, and it may not seem like much, but it, it is. I mean, because people rest, rest is a big one because I think a lot of powerlifters end up resting too long, and Olympic weightlifters are worse. They're the laziest people I've met in the freaking world. All they want to do is clean and jerk and snatch, um, and then they rest 15 minutes in between each rep. Yeah, well, but, uh, well, you know, sometimes the snatch can be pretty appealing. Well, that's true. But, you know, if you, I, <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of those. I could throw a lot of those. Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, I throw some stuff at my athletes. So, you know, okay, we're doing every minute on the minute. You know, there's a bar there, and you're going to throw that thing over your head every minute. And it's like, wow, okay, now we're working. Phil, you've got a good point. Get you out of your comfort zone. I think a lot of people, that's exactly what they should be paying a coach to do is provide realistic increments. You know, like yeah. I think what you see a lot of the uh, uninitiated recreational lifters doing, and I don't want to just say bodybuilders, but you know what I mean, guys that are just in the gym for uh, you know the gun show or doing curls for the girls, or even if they have a more systematic whole body approach, I don't think they realize, like, how much should I go up? How much, yeah. like you said, one minute may not seem like uh, much quicker than what you did last week, but that's part of the slow, progressive nature of this. You know, you, and can I do this in half the time? Well, guess what, guys? No, you can't. You know, my, what I do is a much longer outlook. You know, I'm not looking at one session. You know, we're coming in, and, you know, like a, a buddy of mine, he, he calls it practice. You know, weight training is like practice for any other sport. It's not a freaking event. The training sessions we do, I mean, especially at the beginning, I have new clients come in, they're like, man, that was pretty easy. Yeah, but just give it time. I'm, I'm looking at a long-term outlook plan. Just, okay, talk to me in three months and tell me how much you've progressed, yeah. and then we're somewhere. You know, just because these workouts right now are easy, you got something out of it. We're going to add a little more next time right. and a little more next time. I don't need to kill you this week. You know, any, anybody can bring you. I can give you any trainer in the world to make you really sore and sweat. But you know, my job is to make you progress, and that's all I care about. And I, the best way to do that is to incrementally bring you up and make you better. You and know, it's not tear you it's down. It's hard for guys to get their heads around. Like Rob was saying, you know, they have this concept that work out means out of gas. You know, yeah. work out to exhaustion kind of thing. And it's really hard with, especially with the hyperbole and all the muscle magazines. You know, like destroy your pecs and not well, yeah. Tricep. And they can't get into their um, their mindset that this in this not just this micro cycle. You know, this cu next couple of days is next week, or this meso cycle, which is like a twelve week period, let's say. Or you know, of course they vary. Um, each one of these things are incremental toward a macro cycle. So let's pretend that's one year. You're not in the Olympic Games. It's not like a four-year thing. But you know what I mean? And then each mesocycle builds. So they might write their workout plan. How many listeners, I'm sure, smile to think this? You know, you write down your, your weekly split, your routine, your numbers, whatever. But they don't zoom out with the microscope and then say, how does this 8- or 12-week mesocycle build toward my my macro goals for the year, you know what I mean? And they don't have that, like, practicalization well, of it. You know? And that's because we're also battling the that worked, the whole go in and kill yourself. It worked, and it worked really well when they just started. You know, you can go in, I can take a new person and just tear them down, and they'll bounce back the next session. I'll tear them down again and bounce back, and that'll work for six weeks or 12 weeks maybe a year for the right person. But then they reach a certain level, and now you have actually have to have a plan. Yep. You know, you reach a certain level of, yeah. you know, 
ability, and you've got to have a plan. For me, it worked for a long time, and I got stupid strong to a point, and then I just got hurt, you know, and then I had to get good at it. Well, that's, so. and, you know, I, I hate to say it, but that's why a lot of um, anabolic drugs and hormones, they really wreak havoc with a person's, um, you know, continuing education as far as, you know, advancing their actual, you know, uh, knowledge base of actual yes. weight training. Um, you kind of helped me segue into that because it's very true. Um, I just, just today was on a message board and some guy was saying about, you know, how Flex Wheeler and Ronnie Coleman are, you know, such expert weight trainers and, you know, and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, I'm not going to argue either way whether they are or not because I don't know them well enough to know, but I know them well enough to know that I don't think necessarily that they were champion bodybuilders to the level that they were automatically registers them as being necessarily masterful weight trainers. Absolutely. You know, no, I mean, you have to consider the fact that, you know, let's not, again, this show is about kind of being honest and blunt and brash, so let's not fudge it. These guys took a lot of stuff and their genetics are such that they respond really well to a lot of stuff. Yeah. So no, I agree. both these guys were taking stuff, Ronnie Coleman not as much, but still they were taking stuff reasonably close to when they started weight training. And I, you know, I'm I'm not talking about a year or two, but you know, certainly within several years. So again, I mean like like you're saying, you can take any newbie any new person beat the living crap out of them or have they have them follow, you know, completely asinine, you know, workout programs of the quote unquote stars in the, you know, Flux magazine or whatever, and they'll make some progress. But if they hop on the the gas, on the juice, on the drugs, whatever you want to say, within two or three years, I think that's gonna short circuit their long term, you know, not desire necessarily, but kind of their impetus and their kind of like and the need because they start chasing the, the the knowledge about the drugs and what should I take and where can I get it and how you know what I mean and what's the best stack and what's the, me, and they they forget the training. If I can just add something to that too, it's because the stimulus can be mediocre and they continue to make gains because now they're overloading milligrams. Instead. Well, no, and that's exactly that's exactly my point, and it's been made on the internet many times. Um, you know, it's a kind of the, the exposure of the of the truth of all this. And yes, when you respond very, very well to drugs and you take as much as some people take, all you need is some type of stimulus. And that's not and just that's, bodybuilders. No, no, the, you can see powerlifters like, very similar situation. You know, I've I've actually watched guys like local guys, powerlifters, step on the gas pretty hard. You know, start gramming it. And they're squatting six bills. Do they know what they're doing? No, that didn't grant them some knowledge base. Now again, and, and, and that's I'm not easy for, that for yeah. its own sake. You know what I mean? I'm not I'm not, not making judgments at all. Only that mm -hmm. it should be used if they're going to consider that stuff. You would think they would use it in tandem with a, a growing knowledge base. But in the in itself, squatting 600 pounds. Like I said, I watched one guy change literally over a, a matter of just a couple of months. He went from squatting nothing to six bills because of anadrol, you know, so. Absolutely. No, I agree. I agree. And, I mean, I think that's, you see it in coaches, too. There's some coaches out there that are, you know, they're known for making this, 
really big, strong people, and every one of their people are just automatically put on drugs. Right. I think, you know, it's like, ooh, you know. I think for a coach and for an athlete, I mean, I have no, I have no, I'm not going to make any qualms. I don't care if you're on drugs. I know awesome people that are on lots of them, and I'm good friends with a lot of people. But you need to learn how to get strong without them before you do them. You know, if you, and I'm not talking newbie gains. I'm not talking going from a 135 bench to a 315 bench. You know, I'm talking you need to hit that wall and then learn how to get past that wall. And you need to take a grandma and make her a freaking 400-pound deadlifter or something. You know, not just, hey, grandma, here's some Anadrol, you know, before you can say that you're good. You know, because anybody can do that. Um, you know, to be, to be great, you've got to be able to mix the two. But if you the, take da- a person, the danger, and I'm like you, Phil. I'm not for or against them. I'm, I'm yeah. neutral, basically. My point only yeah. is that it's that such it's it's addictive in that holy crap! I just put 50 pounds on my bench and I didn't change yeah. a, a you know a damn thing to what yeah, I'm training. Right. So yeah, the pursuit I'm... becomes the knowledge about the drugs and not. That that's what I'm replying, and I'm not saying yeah, all, no, I agree. and I'm not saying in all cases. Of course, I'm not. I'm not trying to paint everybody with the same brush. There's I clearly there's lots of guys who are extraordinarily knowledgeable and big drug guys. I, I'm just saying, yeah, by right. and large, I think that would be quite honestly the trend amongst most guys. I mean, if 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 within a few years you get on something and you you respond to a degree that you make those kind of gains. And like we're talking about here, and like Lonnie was saying, you don't essentially change anything. Right. Your excitement now becomes the pursuit of a better cycle or a better yeah. combination of drugs or a, that type of thing. And, and, and my old like years ago, I used to say all the time that I enjoyed the company from a, from a weight training standpoint of powerlifters more than bodybuilders. And I, Lonnie's heard me say this before because – when you sit down with a lot of competitive bodybuilders and you're talking shop, and, and you know, and I can speak from experience, a deep experience with this type of thing, that it always comes around to drugs. Yeah, always comes around to drugs. And if you sit with a lot of really hardcore strength athletes, and you're in a weight training capacity, very often the talk is about the training. Oh yeah, even amongst the and guys who are heavy drug users, and I think that's because uh, performance. There's got to be uh, bodybuilding is sheerly aesthetics. It's just growth. Power is different, you know. Creating strength. Yeah, I'm not saying drugs don't help, but drugs won't make you alone. Won't make you beat Ed Cohn. Drugs and great training gave that total. And that's what'll beat that total. You know, and it, that's, it and that's absolutely true because <laughs> I've seen, I've seen guys like, yeah, I won't mention it. I've, I've seen very, very well-known professional bodybuilders doing 120-pound stiff leg deadlifts who are 300 pounds. Exactly. And got and and, and the, the, you know, like doing dumbbell, sh- like doing half-ass dumbbell shrugs with 40-pound dumbbells, and they got traps that go, you know, that attach on the top of their head. You know, so yes, you know, but you're absolutely, but you're absolutely right. You're not going to squat a thousand pounds regardless of drugs if you don't have some some knowledge about how to do that. Yeah, somebody, you or somebody's giving you a hell of a plan. Yeah, you and, might be able to squat, you know, like you I said, mean, a five or a so. six hundred pounds, but not an eight yeah. or nine or a thousand pounds. There's no exactly. way. Yeah, but let me qualify something too, because in the old days, and again, I sound like an old fart, but 
in the sort of Platts, Arnold, Zane era, or even early Haney years, you couldn't look like those guys on stage just by taking drugs either. Just like Ed Cohn's total, those guys would not look like that just from drugs. But that's where I'm afraid technology, in a way, is ruining bodybuilding as a sport in that you can get guys that are absolute chumps. They've built no base, no natural base of any kind. They don't have any really gifted structure. Uh, but with the right cocktail of growth factors, it, you know, because in the old days it was mostly just anabolics, you know, or meaning androgens, basically. And now with the right cocktail of, you know, everything from, and it's not like thyroid wasn't around back then, but mostly growth hormone, to be honest, and IGF-1, you really do start to see people absolutely transform, whereas in the old days, drugs alone would not do it. Now yeah. drugs with some pretty, pretty mediocre training can probably get you to a pretty high level if you know exactly the cocktail, like you were saying, Rob, the stack you know, to get you there, unfortunately. Yeah. But in the old days, it was not like that. I don't want people to think that bodybuilders, because we've all seen bodybuilders, sucky bodybuilders on tons of gas, and they just bloat up, and they're useless. They would never win anything, you know? So you got to be careful with some of those aspersions, too, I think. Yeah, so. yeah. okay. Overload of drug principle. Yeah, I was going to say, thanks for putting <laughs> that back in for me. Because <laughs> we drifted. <laughs> so, hey, good show, guys. When do we not drift? Yeah. That's true. Uh, and I swear on, I, I swear, most of the time it's probably my fault. So, yeah, you're time. supposed to be the dedicated, the professional journalist here. Oh, oh yeah, exactly. well, I, it's, that's pen to paper. When I'm, just, when I'm just flapping my pie hole at... Uh, Instead, we got to have Phil do the call, the call back to the original topic for us. Yeah. So. All right, guys. All right. That's a good show. Yep. Until next week. Again, Holly, congratulations. You kicked butt. Yes. Very nice. Um, good woo. stuff. See you later. Hey, sports nutrition fans, join us in beautiful Clearwater Beach, Florida, June 20 and 21 for the 11th Annual ISSN Conference and Expo. You'll learn the latest, greatest sports nutrition from the best minds in the business. Some of our speakers include Juan Carlos Santana, Dr. Mark Tarnopolsky, Gina Lombardi, and many, many more. You'll learn about intermittent fasting, how to exercise to offset poor eating, and also nutritional strategies for maintaining or gaining muscle mass. But the best part is you'll get to rub elbows with the best scientists in the business. The ISSN, why would you go anywhere else? Go to www.theissn.org for more information. That's www.theissn.org for more info. See you there. Fortress Fortney. I'm here to tell you about some of the cool new stuff us guys at Iron Radio are bringing your way. Thanks to our loyal supporting members, we have enough cash flow to start migrating to Lipson, arguably the premier podcast host, and one that serves up some very high-end shows and tools. The change will start slowly with a little backup page that can be found right now on the Lipson website. 
This means our occasional server errors cannot keep the show out of your hands. But as we move more and more content over to the new server, it is going to allow us to do a couple of brand new things. First, we're planning an Iron Radio app for iPhone and Android. Believe it. If you're not sure what RSS feeds are or how to describe in iTunes, apps are a very simple way to get our content, either to by downloading it or even streaming it through the app on a phone or tablet. Even better, you'll occasionally see a little E on an app link that means there's extra content you can access for that show. For example, we can add extended audio to a show or even pics like wallpapers or sciency graphs that support what we're saying. The iPhone app even has a search feature. Want the show with Eddie Cohn right now? You'll be able to grab it quickly. Second, you'll see an improved media player on www.ironradio.org. You can download or listen easily right from the home page with no other windows or pop-ups necessary. Third, and maybe best, we'll be adding all new bonus content. Behind the scenes, special interviews, audio articles delivered from co-host personal libraries, on-site coverage, editorials, rants, bloopers, and more. The growth of the show and the new functionality does come with some cost. Starting in June, episodes older than a year, 50 shows, will become premium content. There are several reasons for this. For one, serving audio to our growing listenership through a big boy system like Lipson costs a bit more. Second, our RSS feed service called FeedBurner as a limit limit, so this will keep us from having to drop early episodes one at a time as new ones come out. In fact, here's a tip. If you want all the old episodes at zero cost, download them before June 2014. We're telling you now because that's how we roll. So how does premium content work? You pick up an inexpensive subscription at my.lipson.com, which gets you every Iron Radio episode plus new bonus content that no one else can hear. These subscriptions are very cheap, about $2 to $8, and can be gotten monthly, yearly, etc. Quit when you want. Further, if you're a current supporting member through PayPal, we appreciate your ongoing support. Free new content each week is possible because of your dedication. You help thousands of young lifters, or anyone, get news, education, and entertainment that they otherwise might not get. Simply email me through the ironradio.org homepage and our web guru, Lonnie, will buy you a year's membership on my Lipson as an iron brother or sister. Finally, let me reiterate, as we grow, we want to keep new episodes free forever while providing better services and content for the whole Iron Army. Thanks 50 times for your ongoing support. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the iradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. 
also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.